I um spent a very long amount of time not believing myself and denying myself what had actually happened. And so for the longest time, I wasn't going to therapy. I was just self-medicating. I was telling myself like, you know, the quote unquote, you're being dramatic, you're being angsty, aggressively using drugs and alcohol. I was in an abusive relationship. And so when I was 20, I was assaulted by a current partner and that broke open everything. And it created PTSD not only from that event, but I started having flashbacks from childhood too. And it just didn't make any sense to me. Welcome to Unseen, the Trafficked Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Rowland. You're going to get to hear true sex trafficking crime stories. These are stories that maybe never made to headlines. Maybe they weren't believed. And you're going to get to hear from survivors themselves tell the truths of sex trafficking. Join us and remember, listener discretion is advised. We understand the the greatness about our community, and we know the struggles of our community. And I think that that is something to be excited for when we can come together and share stories like ours and be a voice for those who need us. You are worthy, you know, and you are. You're precious, you know, you're beautiful. And in spite of what you're going through, of what you've gone through, it does not determine who you are going to be in the future. It's just being able to tell my story to that one person who can relate or that one person who believes me. All that mess you went through, there's a message in there and there's a message of hope and transparency and freedom for somebody else. There's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. Your freedom is in your mouth and it's the key to somebody else's chains. You matter and your story matters always. You're, you're taking the voices of the unheard and you're letting them be heard in a very safe space. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to have a safe space, have somebody like you who is used to talking to survivors and used to creating this environment that we kind of need to be able to share. I'm so excited to have this opportunity to share oh, in this thank space. Because, yeah, it's a, it's a daunting subject to talk about. And especially when you as just a normal individual, like I am working on creating a platform where I can kind of speak openly about these things, but it's really hard. And so it's so much easier to do it via somebody who has created that platform and already has that kind of space. Thank you. I mean, (laughs) I, sometimes I just get really, um, what do we, what, what, you know, all of us that are struggling to find that 
area that we feel is successful in ours. And sometimes people uh-huh. are, are like just still wondering, like, well, why is there a podcast that exists like this? And um, and you just said it right there. And it's just really a safe yeah. space because this is not very common. It's either sometimes our stories get exploited. Sometimes there's there's uh-huh. just that journey where you thought you were able to tell your story and then you're not really, really wanting to tell that piece of it. But here, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. here it's whatever you want to share. And I think that's the biggest part of having this space is it's not an interview. Like, I don't want to ask you a whole bunch of questions today, Harper at all. You know, it's (laughs) just kind of like, you know, it's Uh like, just like you said. So I thank you so much. It it really is to have spaces for you and other survivors like yourselves that are in a particular space of Mm -hmm. I'm willing and openly wanting to be a voice and share what has helped me in the survivor community, what, you know, just like that's strong in itself is just even say we have a survivor community because we do. Yes. It's such a relatively new community. I feel like, because even, you know, in 25, so I grew up, um, you know, all my friends had like MySpace, internet platforms. They all had computers at home, phones at home. I wasn't really like given access to the internet as part of the grooming tactics and stuff like that. I was more isolated. So I wasn't exposed to all these people online. So as an adult, when I started to like move out and get away from that abuse and to have my own autonomy, I started turning towards social media. And I was finding a lot of people were like on Instagram making, you know, Finstas, like fake Instagram accounts where they are completely anonymous, talking about their mental health, reporting abuse and all of these things. And now within like the last five years, I'm watching people actually take to their personal profiles and using their real names and creating this community around themselves and their actual story and I think it's so powerful it's really the only reason I felt confident enough to be able to come forward and tell my story isn't that something that is just amazing it's incredible yeah I'm so grateful for (laughs) for the internet and to meet people who have you know I always thought I was alone like in this weird kind of two truths can exist at the same time. Like I always thought like what I was going through was very normal, but I was also recognized like I'm felt completely isolated and completely alone. Like I couldn't talk about it, but at the same time I was being groomed Mm -hmm. to think that like, okay, this is normal. This is what's happening. Like every kid goes through this, but they also don't Mm -hmm. talk about it. If Absolutely. That makes sense. It sounds so no, complicated. You know, this, this but... is the strength in your story and your story mattering and the power of other voices in the survivorhood because you, it, this is very mm-hmm. common. You just spoke a lot on the isolation. And now that you've been exposed in the last five years to social media and the internet, you see that you were severely groomed and purposely isolated to believe all of these things so no right from the back harper it sounds very familiar and we believe you and the sad part is is that you do have this unfortunate 
the thing that happened to you, but there's so much more along your journey to recovery. And that is so wonderful mm-hmm. to know that we're going to get to hear about today because they did not exactly. win. Right. I just, we, you know, nope. that's exactly it. And that's, yeah. Why I choose to, why I've chosen to be more public about sharing my story. You know, I've shared with kind of peers and stuff like that, but um, the way the women and men who have publicly shared their story have affected me and impacted me. They've made me feel like it's possible. Healing is possible and you can be open about this and you can recover. I, if I can do anything in this world, just if I could make one child realize what's happening to them is not okay. And to get help. I I'd be honored. Absolutely. And that's what we, that's what you're going to do today. You're, you, you know, your story will impact (laughs) so many and, and really your story is going to impact so much too, because you also are going through and working with the Polaris project. So that's one thing that I really appreciate Mm -hmm. you um, acknowledging when Mm -hmm. we uh, connected is that that is going to be, and I'm glad that there are organizations like the Polaris project, right? Because Oh my gosh. They reached out to me. I had commented on another survivor's account and said something regarding, you know, I can't even remember what it was, but just regarding like, oh yeah, like my dad used to do X, Y, and Z. Um, And they reached out to me and said, this is trafficking. What you experienced is child exploitation and trafficking and here are resources like we can help you and for the first time like I always thought those resources were for people who were actively being trafficked or actively experiencing abuse I always kind of I hate to use the term like too late for me but I always thought I was just too far into recovery to really require um facilities or individuals or resources kind of like that and so when they reached out to me it was just that sign I kind of needed to realize like oh okay no they can still help me just because I'm 25 now and away from my family doesn't mean that I don't still need some of the same help that other individuals who are maybe closer to being removed from their circumstances there it is there's a truth right there and that's why I was just wanting so much to just emphasize that one the social media is very much helping a lot of people and then two the voice that Mm -hmm. we have and the power that we have with sharing particular stories it's such a, a uh, it's just such an empowering way to get further along on your journey. And when you told me that they are willing to just help in so many other ways, because we also had the other survivor who they helped in the legal process as well. It's, this is why, mm-hmm. this is why we can't remain silent. This is why it helps yeah. so much to believe that you also deserve that same resources and that at first it's hurtful right to think that the act when we Mm -hmm. say quote unquote active the current rescued or recent rescued or 
you know, removed, like you said, mm-hmm. it's disheartening because this is a long, lifelong journey for most of recovery, right? It doesn't yes. look like something immediate. Uh-huh. Okay, you are saved. Like this happened to you when you were, you know, 23. Let's get this ball rolling. No, you and your, you know, this happened to you through the ages, I believe you mentioned five to 16. And here you are almost 10 years later and you're getting the right resources. Like people just don't understand that. <laughs> no, no, they don't. Well, and it also takes you so long because for me specifically, I um, spend a very long amount of time not believing myself and denying myself what had actually happened. And so for the longest time, I wasn't going to therapy. I was just self-medicating. I was telling myself like, you know, the quote unquote, you're being dramatic, you're being angsty, all of these things and just aggressively using drugs and alcohol. And then I finally got to the point where I was in an abusive relationship and so when I was 20 I was assaulted by a current partner and that broken that broke open everything and it created PTSD not only from that event but I started having flashbacks from childhood too and it just didn't make any sense to me I couldn't understand why I had had this thing happen with my boyfriend when I was 20 And all of a sudden, I was remembering horrible things from my childhood. I couldn't understand why they were related at all. But it's because, you know, with PTSD, those trauma memories live in your body. And so when I would have those triggers from the recent assault, other memories came up too. And I would go to therapists and I would tell them, oh, I have this horrible PTSD. I can barely work. I can barely keep things together. And I was just saying the entire time, oh, it's because I was in an abusive relationship. It's because I was in an abusive relationship. And I wasn't being honest with myself about where the trauma and the flashbacks and everything was coming from. It was in part coming from this incident I had when I was 20, but it was also coming from the abuse that happened in my family. And so I wasn't being honest with my therapist until probably like the last year. And so I wasn't getting help. And so when you don't have the words or the ability to even talk about what's happening, just because you've left the situation, you still have so much more work to do to even get to the point where sometimes you can understand what happened to you to then get to the point where you can actively work on those traumas and triggers. And I feel like that's kind of what's happened with me. I've spent so long trying to understand and mm-hmm. grapple. I don't know if that's the right word, but just grasp at anything I can to make sense of these memories and believe myself. And now that I've started, one of the biggest things that made a change was reading the book, um, The Body Keeps Score by Bessel van der Kolk. Yes. Yes. And I learned what trauma memories are. I learned that they're not like a storybook. It doesn't come like you're reading this book and here are all the details and it's beautiful. It's literally like flashes and sensations. You 
I describe it like being struck mm-hmm. by lightning. It feels like you're struck by lightning and you experience sometimes hours of a moment within seconds. And it's all the details and all the feelings and all the emotional memories. And so learning what those were, because I would always have trauma memories. So flashbacks come up um, about my abuse that didn't make any sense to me. And so I honestly have for a very long time, like through my childhood, been trying to tell myself, oh, I'm bipolar, I'm schizophrenic, I have some sort of mental illness that is causing me to create horrible scenarios in my head that just pop up like intrusive thoughts. But I have a physical reaction to them. And I thought, oh, well, maybe that's just like some mental illness that I have and I'm making everything up. And then I read The Body Keeps Score and I was like, oh, no, it is an actual disorder. It's called PTSD and you didn't make any of this up. This is how these memories present themselves. Wow. And this was this. I mean, you know, we want all to be as aware as you are. Right. Because even though we talk, I mean, you that was fabulous, Harper. And I want you to know that you are your best. Like, I'm not like a motivational speaker or anything like that. Like, I don't even know how to put it in words, but you are your best advocate for yourself. and. Right. And it sounds like you're doing the work for yourself. Yeah, I I have been really trying. I've also, you know, I think everybody with um, mental health, the way it's treated in our, our country, unfortunately, it's not great. And so you unfortunately do have to be your biggest advocate in the times in which you are the lowest. I have been at rock bottom in treatment facilities for my PTSD where I've had to put my foot down and say, no, it's not okay to treat me this way. And I'm going to walk away knowing that that's an okay decision for myself. Damn. Wow. I just, um, yeah, I've had to overcome so many adverse situations, not only in my childhood, but also fighting to get the respect and the type of care I need for my mental health. And I know a lot of that, like I said, has come from not necessarily having the words or the ability to be honest with my situation. But um, now that I'm more honest and more accepting about what's going on with me, I'm able to find the right type of care. Um, I tried talk therapy and that really wasn't helping. You know, I tried to go to therapy. I tried to just sit there for the hour session and talk about it. And it didn't work for me. I know it works for some people, but um, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't sit there. And for me, it felt like it was bringing up all these terrible things. We had to talk about the capital T traumas. And then they would just be like, okay, your hour's up. Like, go drive home now. <laughs> right. And I'd, I'd be dissociated. And it's so mm-hmm. dangerous and hard to drive like that. And so it got really difficult. Um, and I decided to stop going to therapy. And I decided to do art and equine therapy for a little bit. And honestly, even that was too much for me. Um, we tried to draw pictures of some of the abuse and talk about those pictures instead. And I still couldn't really do that. 
and where, you know, I know everyone is different. So I'm not trying to like tell people, Hey, don't right, go to right. therapy. But where I've found the most relief has been body work, like working inside of my body through meditation, through exercise, um, taking like cold swims and rivers and stuff like that. And really connecting with myself, because I think what I'm missing in this whole healing process is, yeah, I'm not connected to myself at all. I um, am completely disconnected from my body. And that's how I survived my abuse. It was serving me then um, when I was a child, when I was actively being abused, but now it's preventing me from healing. Um, that disconnect between my brain and my body is preventing me from being able to recover and ground myself and be able to work through the traumas. And so I've decided to just take a step back and take it slow and take my recovery in the direction or or the speed, I should say that I need to take it. I realized like, oh, well, I don't have to force myself into talk therapy if it's uncomfortable. I can do what feels right. And now I've realized I need to rebuild that body and mind connection before these talk therapies can be beneficial to me. to 16 I was trafficked by my parents and one of their friends and so I have always had a very tumultuous relationship with my family uh it's been very difficult I have an older sister who lived in the home with us and she moved out and things that's kind of when the abuse stopped with me she moved out and we had moved into a new home where my bedroom door locked when I was about 17 um, and we moved into that home. So the abuse stopped and things got a little better in the house. And then I moved out. I moved from Colorado to Montana and it was still very much so attached to my parents. They were completely supporting me through school. They were paying my rent. Like if I wanted to go out and get a coffee, I had to call my mom. I was so dependent upon them. And then it was January of 2018. I had gone back home for Christmas and I came home and I, you know, I always have had these memories of things being off in my childhood. But it was after I went home in 2018, the beginning of 2018, it just seemed to break a lot of this stuff loose after seeing some of my abusers and being in their homes. And I had some of my first repressed memories come back to me of the actual abuse, um, of the actual assaults. And I realized that my parents had something to do with it. I had always assumed as a child would that... (laughs) 
your parents are there to protect you and they're there to make sure nothing bad ever happens to you. So I had always assumed or hoped it was someone else. I'd always wanted it to not be true. So I lived in a very heavy state of denial for a really long time where it could kind of explain away all of these weird memories I had until that repressed memory of being sexually assaulted by my father's friend in that basement of the house they would take me to. I realized my parents were most likely involved. And so I tried to talk to them about it. I tried to have an open dialogue and say, these are the things I remember. And they were very dismissive. Um, they didn't really want anything to do with it. They didn't have a lot of words for anything. They just didn't want to talk about it. They were just like, oh, well, that sucks. Basically, you think you were molested. Um, sorry, pretty much. And I would, when I was a kid, they had pulled me out of school in about like first grade and started taking me to a therapist outside of town. And so I strongly felt during this time in 2018 that that therapist maybe had clues to what had happened. I thought that maybe I was sexually assaulted and my parents were taking me to see this therapist to deal with the trauma. Um, but my parents were like, no, what are you talking about? You never saw a therapist. They just completely gaslighted me. And I was like, this is weird. Something's not right here. Um, and I tried to make them talk about it and they really, they really fought me on it. And so I started to kind of really digressed my mental health got very bad and I was realizing that my parents had a lot to do with the abuse I started having memories of my father sexually assaulting me and I was still taking money from them they were completely supporting me I had to talk to them in order to survive out here on my own in Montana And it was horrible. And so spring break, I was in the middle of a semester. Spring break had happened. And my older sister was basically like, you have to come to Moab with us because I don't trust you to be on your own. I was incredibly suicidal at this point. I was going through a lot. And I was in Moab. And I got very drunk. And I tried to break my hands with a rock. Um, self-harm has been kind of a thing in my past that I do a lot to gain some type of control over my feelings to bring myself back to my body. And it's horrible. And my sister found me and of course, um, saved me from myself. And that was the moment I realized I have to change things. I have to stop going to school. I have to be independent. I have to stop talking to my parents and I need to get a hold of what is happening to me with my memories and my emotions or else I'm not going to survive. And so I got back from the lab and the next day I dropped out of school and I stopped talking to my parents. I got a full-time job and I started completely supporting myself. And within 
probably like three months of working at this job, I met my current partner today. He's the most incredible person. Yeah, he saved my life. I was not, at this point, I wasn't even able to talk about what was happening um, with me. I couldn't, it was so horrible. I just, I couldn't even say it. I didn't want to say it. And so uh, my partner, he's, he's amazing. He has also had some adverse childhood experiences that he don't necessarily like have the right to speak on, but he understands Mm -hmm. trauma Mm -hmm. so much. And everyone I've dated before Mateus, I would have a PTSD episode and they would just leave. You know, they would be like, well, you're crazy. You're overreacting. This is too much. Yeah. And Mateus just sat there with me the entire time. And he was very attuned to what was happening um, with me and the way I interacted with my parents because they had come up. My older sister was still living in Bozeman at the time. They Mm -hmm. had come up to visit and I lost it. I did not handle it well. And I actually broke up with Mateus during that time. Um, Mm -hmm. It was really bad. And so we weren't together for two months. And then we got back together and he asked, he asked, did your dad sexually assault you? And (laughs) I was just like, crap, (laughs) yes, this is what happened. And so slowly throughout our relationship and throughout that time, um, he's been the first person I've told for everything. I come to him about new memories. He's there with me during my flashbacks. He has the patience and the understanding for these really big trauma memories and these really big reactions. And I've, I'm so lucky to know that there are so many Mm -hmm. people who have to go across this alone and do have to cut out their family and are Mm -hmm. completely alone. And it's, it's so isolating mm-hmm. and heartbreaking to stop talking to your family. Like I of course cut my dad out first and then within this last six months ended up stopping oh, talking wow. to my mom because she was um doing the thing where you I just saw a beautiful quote about it today. Um you want to support the abuser and the victim at the same time. So she was doing that two truths can exist at the same time. He could have not raped and exploited you while you can also have been like raped by your father. And that was creating a very damaging dynamic to me because I was also still holding space for doubt and it's an unhealthy doubt because I know these things Mm -hmm. happened. I know the truth. Yeah. I was still holding Mm -hmm. space for, Ooh, maybe not. Like, what if not, you know, what if it's schizophrenia? Mm -hmm. What if it's these things that I know it Mm -hmm. could not be? Um, yeah, I, and so I realized she was helping me Mm -hmm. hold on to that doubt. And our conversations were mm-hmm. manipulative on 
you know, and I don't know whether it was intentional or not, but they were very manipulative and they, it was really damaging. She would come to me and tell me that like, there were a few individuals I had disclosed to as a child who didn't do anything. And yeah, so my mom confronted them. And of course they said, no, Harper never said that. That never happened. And so my mom confronted me saying, well, these individuals said you never said that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she was holding Mm -hmm. a lot of space for my father and not a lot of space for me. And she said also a lot of things that were very kind of indicative of the fact that she most likely played a role in this. Played a role in it somehow, you know, and I still, I can't speak on whether her role Mm -hmm. was intentional or if she was just in a level of denial, a really big part of my story and my parents' story is that they're, they're drug addicts. Um, my mom heavily drank throughout our childhood and got sober about middle school. And my dad has been an intravenous drug user for as long Mm. as I remember. Um, so that also plays a really big factor into their credibility and absolutely (laughs) yeah um I always have to remember that it's tough and it's It's gonna it's really tough right yeah it's gonna be a process yeah it's mm -hmm. this back and forth Mm -hmm. of oh I don't want this to happen. So I can just explain Mm -hmm. it away. And I can tell myself like, oh, my dad was like, my parents are these wonderful individuals and they cared about me so much. And it's really easy to slip into that. It's a much nicer narrative. But then I have to remind myself of the truth a lot of the times. Yep. And so one of the things that I worked on with a therapist was um, we made a list. And there are lists of truths that have happened that I know without a doubt, these things are true. These memories did happen to me. And so when I slip a little too far into the, oh no, they're good parents. Everything's fine. You're just crazy, blah, blah, blah. I can bring myself back to the reality. And I just, yes. Um, And you can bring yourself, that's, that's so mm -hmm. important. And you know, kudos to the truths behind everything in this conversation today. And, and it's, and that's yeah. what's part of your journey. It sounds like is remaining true that, you know, not just exactly. to yourself, that this happened, that they were the culprits, like just so many things, even thank you. And I want to take a moment to you just really emphasizing on the fact that you could not have done this alone and that the recovery is going Mm -hmm. to look different where you are going to be speaking to someone that's listening and they, I, they can connect with you on that because you, you have the unfortunate thoughts that you have to disconnect from these so-called people that are your family Mm -hmm. that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We could talk about that, but then the realization that you found someone that a lot of people might not be able to, and it's not going to be an easy road either. And I thank you for your honesty and the truth with, you know, sharing about him. And it, 
you know, and, and it got yeah. a little shaky, you know, with you when you were saying that, but you disclosed to him and he's mm-hmm. still there. And that's what's along this exactly. truth, right? And he's exactly, he's such a huge resource to me too, to remind me mm-hmm. of the truth. So often I will come to him and be like, you know, Mateus, maybe mm-hmm. I did make it up. Like I'm really starting to get into that place again. Like I made it up and he says, but remember this, remember these details you told me and I could go, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. you're right. ideas and weird memories that just didn't sit right with me but weren't necessarily memories of abuse they were just weird things like once I asked my middle school boyfriend if he would if we had sex would he know if I was a virgin you know stuff like that and he had told me he had asked basically did your father sexually assault you? And so this was in seventh grade. Um, somebody asked me the same question. It's been, honestly, a lot of my boyfriends have asked me this. I think it's very obvious, um, especially when they watch me interact with my family. Um, but yeah, he had asked me, did your father sexually assault you? And I remember thinking to myself, like, in the small amount of time it took me to respond, I was like, quick, like think of anybody else. Who can you put this on? And I thought about maybe like a neighbor across the street. And I remember thinking to myself, Harper, no, you cannot ruin someone's life like that. Even as a kid, like having that awareness, like, no, you can't tell a lie like this. And I had this very strange inner child experience come out where to that same boyfriend, I felt like I just kind of went into this trance and I made this um, picture book. I just drew with crayons and like stick figures, a picture book and narrated some of the abuse that I had experienced. Um, Some of the exploitation. So being at the house where I was trafficked and having them take photos and videos of me. And I remember writing this down, like making the picture book out of it. And then once I finished kind of coming out of this, this fugue kind of state and being like, oh my gosh, like, what did I just do? This is horrific. Like, why did you just create like a child's drawing of like the worst thing? Like, what are you doing? And now... As an adult, I recognize that was my inner child trying to wow. tell my narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yeah, it was the only way I was able mm-hmm. to get that out. But so I have all of these memories of things like that in the very beginning. And then getting to the point after um, going home for Christmas in 2018 and having that memory come back to me of the actual abuse and remembering some of the more traumatizing horrific things I started to 
teeter on that line then of denial. At the very beginning, I was just full on denial. This didn't happen. You're crazy. You're lying. And then I had these memories start to come up and I was Mm. like, whoa, these feel really real. This has to be something like uh, there's no way I'm making this up. And then slowly moving, you know, reading yes. The Body Keeps Score by Bessel van der Kolk helped mm-hmm. so much. Just understanding the science mm-hmm. behind what's happening in my body, in my body um, and knowing that, like, it was so validating to understand those things. And that's helped me kind of move more towards the line of believing myself. One of the things I wanted to do very first off was identify a perpetrator. When I had that first um, repressed memory after coming home from Christmas, I wanted to figure out who it was, identify him and do what I needed to do with that individual. And then more memories started coming up and I started realizing they're different individuals. Um, I can't... Like I can't one put person. it on one person. Oh like it, yeah, I can't say it was this one mm. individual, and so that also mm. makes it kind of hard. And the, I think so often we, as a society, try to decide whether or not we believe somebody's story based on is it triable in a right. court of law. Would you win a court case with these details? And that's not how it should be. I'm not trying to win a court case. I'm trying to talk about my experiences. And it's okay if I don't, if I remember the body and the face is just blurry. Like that doesn't exactly. mean I wasn't it's sexually so assaulted. Yes, that. Yeah, it may mean I would not mm-hmm. win a court case, but that isn't the end all mm-hmm. be all for if your trauma right. actually happened. And and it's just it's part of the sad truth going back to the hard the hard recovery journey that a lot of the survivors of intrafamilial trafficking and other trafficking will will face, especially like you mentioned, when there's there's no like I want justice in a legal system. I want this kind of justice. I want this mm-hmm. kind of justice. Sometimes it's telling your story, and sometimes it's the exploitation from it. It's not mm-hmm. the legal term of sex trafficking where there was the forced fraud or coercion that you got to prove and all of that stuff. I mean, there's legit mm-hmm. sex trafficking rings and pedophile pedophilia rings that. Some people like the parents might not actually be getting money out of this or people might not be getting money out of it. It's just a sick Mm -hmm. crime. And and it's just what you brought up. It's literally we don't need validation from people who have to prove this in court or therapists that have to bring it to their solution of, okay, let's identify these individuals. And that will make you feel better. And it's like, no, I know this happened to me. So I'm just trying to 
you know, get Mm -hmm. a certain part of my journey that one won't really focus on that. But I do want to I do want to like talk over myself in a way because you were uh, mentioning that there are going to be investigations to hopefully lead to certain things, you know, so we do want to identify that we're not telling listeners that Mm -hmm. it's not okay to not know the perps and like, you know, get them in trouble. We're not trying to say that, but we're just trying to say in terms of validation of our story. Yes, exactly. It's so much more validating to be like, I know I was raped instead of saying, well, I think I was raped. I just don't know who it doesn't matter who, you know, it it matters who, if you're trying to go to court and you're trying to prosecute this individual, but for your recovery and your moving forward and your journey of healing, it doesn't always necessarily matter. These like finite details. So, yeah, but that being said, um, one of the things that the Polaris Project reached out to me and let me know was I can file a police case with them. And they work with law enforcement who is directly trained in trafficking cases and child exploitation. So a lot of the times when you go to your local police department, even for a sexual assault, you can report to somebody who maybe doesn't understand the, I don't want to say doesn't understand right. the gravity. Oh no, You're, I know what you mean. There's not a lot of one trauma-informed <laughs> law enforcement, clearly. Exactly. And then. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Not, and then the, yeah. the narratives of survivors who experienced trafficking. We don't even want to get on that topic because we're still being called certain names mm-hmm. that we don't even need. Right. Um, especially when we're, we're dealing yep. with children that are now adults. It's so complex. Exactly. exactly. It's very alienating. It's not the most friendly environment to go into. And you honestly don't know if it's the luck of the draw. You could get a very trauma informed police officer who has been through this and understands what's going on and knows exactly what to do. Or you could get somebody who just kind of brushes you off. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I'm saying police are bad at their job. It's just that we need a avenue in which us survivors can access people, law enforcement, who are trained specifically in sexual assault and trafficking. And that's what the Polaris mm-hmm. Project does. So I spoke with one of their advocates and that. we talked for a very long yes. time about... The things I needed to talk about. And then she let me know whenever I'm ready. She's created a case number for me and I can call back and I can give a police report. And so that's what I did. I um, took my time. I took the time that I needed to take and I called back. And I do kind of just want to speak on the process of what it was like just in Absolutely. case anyone listening is like, oh, well, Absolutely. I want to do that. But like, I'm scared because what I did, I felt like I kind of embarrassed myself. I wrote down, I thought they needed everything. So I re-traumatized myself completely. I wrote down the entire trauma narrative, what things looked like, where the assaults happened, how the assaults happened, like any details I could possibly give. And she basically like, 
She didn't cut me off. Oh. She did it very politely and was like, hey, this is a lot. You don't have to go into all of this. We, we don't need that right now. If we get to the point where we do need that, we'll call you back and we'll discuss it then. And we'll have an advocate present so you can be okay. But this is very traumatizing. What they needed was just a description of my father, a description of Mike, so my other trafficker, and where the house was located, dates and times of the general abuse, and that was it. It was very simple. And when they need more information, if they need more information, they will contact me. Um, and so that being said, yeah, when you, when you report, it's not guaranteed that anything is going to happen. Um, I think we all are (laughs) painfully aware of that, that making a report doesn't mean Mm -hmm. you're making an arrest, but I also might not have been the first person to report. Um, so that's why I encourage people and survivors even if it has been a while to to make a report because you could just be validating somebody else's report as well absolutely um and so i think the more people who speak up um about their abusers the more people who talk to law enforcement you're just creating that paper trail you're making it easier for action to be taken even if action doesn't get taken on this specific incident absolutely and harper i mean Wow. I am so thankful for you and your sharing of how you went through that process because it is a very daunting process. And I'm sure a lot of people don't know, just like you didn't know, um, that it's, they're trauma informed and they have systems in place to Uh kind of protect you from that. Um, you know, we can't say the same for like reporters or other people. Um, you know, but at exactly. least that you you are making us aware of the process for the Polaris Project. And I really am thankful for that because we have another mm-hmm. um, advocate survivor and he went through the process and he also is sharing his story in hopes that people, will, you know, be strong for the legal process if they do go forward with a civil suit mm-hmm. even. Um, but I just wanted to say. And I hope we're in a good place because I know you shared a lot and I don't know if you expected that, but we are so thankful um, because you obviously are helping someone else. And your yes, your story is one of the true um, the truths that well, excuse me, your story really impacted this podcast because you spoke on so many of the truths, especially behind intrafamilial trafficking. But I, I I'm. I'm Mm -hmm. wanting to hear from you about your thoughts on the awareness, because although, you know, you were isolated and kept from a lot of the Internet, I know a lot of our our awareness for identifying trafficking um, as this heinous crime is online and everything. But when you Mm -hmm. started to sort of see other survivor stories or you were reached, you know, you were sought excuse me, you connected with Polaris Project. Um, And I don't know if it was shocking or if it was like this revelation, but what can we do to make sure besides like a podcast like this, of course, but, but, you know, there might not be folks that listen to podcasts and are on Instagram and take Mm -hmm. it seriously because I personally have connected with a lot of survivors through Instagram. And that has been 
right? That has been like our saving grace, our community. And it really really comes back to like what you mentioned and how we connected. It's really where you are in your journey. And if you are overcoming and you are able to still be that advocate, we want to be able to find ways to reach out to more people. So what can we do as you being, you know, a young person who's still um, involved actively with uh, some of your, you know, your Mm -hmm. situation and learning about it and learning that it was trafficking? what can we do? Yes. Because it's, it still sounds disheartening that it doesn't seem like it's more out there and being able to be believed. Like it just hurts that I'm even, yeah. I'm even in the true yeah. crime space to just let people know, like this is happening. <laughs> it's. <laughs> I know. And there's just like this whole weird conspiracy. I mean, like it's just like, I don't understand why people just, well, I do understand why people don't think this is real. And Bessel van der Kolk touches on it in his book. When he started his research on childhood sexual abuse and incest, there was a statistic. So in the 80s, the 1980s, there was a statistic that one in a million American individuals will be subject to incest. One in a million. Like how long is that? And so he, it's it's not true at all. It's so wrong. And so we grew up in this society, in this era that made us believe incest is a horrible taboo that never happens, that should never be discussed. And it actually happens all the time. I don't have a statistic mm-hmm, that I can mm-hmm, pull mm-hmm. out right now. Um, I wish I did, but it happens so often. And that's what he realized in his research. He started doing all of these studies where he was seeing, you know, drug addicts and vagrants and people with mental illnesses. And almost all of them were being boiled down to childhood Mm -hmm. sexual assault and predominantly Mm -hmm. by family members. And so it's something that's happening and it is very real. And one of the things what I'm doing, what I can do right now to the best of my ability is create a platform in which we can talk about these things. So I'm using my Instagram as a platform to speak about my experiences in hopes that other individuals like my younger self will stumble upon it and see the resources I've put out there, see the definitions of trafficking, see the definitions of assault, all of these things. So what I really want to do is create a program similar to D.A.R.E. Um, when in yes. the 80s, we had mm-hmm. just say no to drugs. And all of these children were narking <laughs> on their parents. I want a generation of children who are taught the appropriate words for their sexual reproductive organs. They're taught the appropriate language for what sex and sexual touching is, what consent is, what non-consent is. And they talk about it amongst themselves. And I want children to understand that when these things happen, it's not okay. And you can ask for help. So like during the D.A.R.E. program, you would have all of these little kids calling the police. Like my dad is smoking weed. My dad is drinking and driving. My mom is doing X, Y, and Z. And if we created a program so prevalent in our schools, in our 
elementary schools at a very young age where we teach sexual assault and consent and all of these things and incest, that these are things that happen and we get to the root of the problem and really give kids the words to be able to stand up for themselves. Because the only reason children aren't talking about this is they're being groomed by their abusers to stay Mm -hmm. silent. So if we can teach children what grooming is and teach them to identify it, they'll say something. Um, Children are very intelligent and they don't want bad things to happen to them. The only reason children aren't saying something is because they have been convinced something worse will happen to them if they talk about it. And so we need to teach these kids that that's not true. These things people are doing to you are wrong. And the things that they're telling you are lies to keep you quiet. And so teaching them about grooming is so important. And, you know, we have so many problems in our society from drug use to suicide and homicide and abuse. And if we addressed some of the root cause of all these things, which is childhood abuse, our society could be so much better. You know, we wouldn't have individuals who leave their home as adults and then have to completely reparent and recover and heal. Damn. Thank you, Harper. That was really empowering because you connected a lot of dots that, you know, people think that, well, one, I can't even talk about the education system, but that is one part Mm -hmm. that is... Mm -hmm obviously very prevalent and in a lot of children's lives. We won't take that away, but the sexual education and all of the health education, everything like that, like you said, there's no programs like, I don't even know if they even still do dare, Mm -hmm. but that's the thing. It's like, I thank you for connecting the dot to that area of awareness, because once you do get these kids that do talk and will tell you, no matter what oh, forms, yeah. cause like, I got to give praise to the other survivors that I work with. I mean, that told their story also, but I do work with them. Um, you know, they have disclosures through when they do their dance programs or when they do their yoga programs or when they go to the schools and it's just not happening mm-hmm. enough and we're not catching the, mm-hmm. the, um, concerns enough. And even though we say we need awareness, we need prevention, we need this, we need that. We, we are, we, we're talking about educating the kids, but we are not talking about educating these damn community members that, and family members that aren't mm-hmm. supposed to be inflicting this upon these children. I, you know what I mean? Exactly. So it's kind of like, thank you for connecting exactly. that dot and also the realization that this is what you would have needed. And that's, yeah. mm-hmm. if I had the words to... If I told my friends, my friends would have told their parents and their parents would have done something. Yep. Like, yep. I think about that, you know, and that maybe that is just too much of a blanket statement. But I know that if I, if this was just going around and I was mm-hmm. telling people mm-hmm. actively that these things are happening to me, someone would right. have Right, and that's the part something. of the awareness, right? There's billions of dollars that they're saying we're getting, we're putting into prevention and awareness, but we need that mm-hmm. to emphasize on, like you said, the communities, not just the, mm-hmm. the victims at the times. It doesn't, it can't just rely Mm -hmm. on them with telling their story. You know, like you said before, hashtag believe the teens, like, come on, believe the Uh children. Like you have to believe them and then you have to do something about it. Exactly. 
let's uh, yes i want to see a society in which a child discloses and we immediately take action apologize if we were absolutely. wrong absolutely there it is say that again harper there it is we need yes. like yeah we just you know because one of the things i asked my mom i was like okay so hypothetically a kid in your community, I'm not going to like name a child because I don't want to put that on an individual, but a kid in your community comes to you. My parents are very prevalent in their community. Um, They come to you and they say, help me. I'm being abused at home. It's not safe. What do you do? And my mom said, quote, I am not required to disclose. Okay. And I was like, "Um, that's a huge red flag. And also, yeah, you are, as a human being, this child, this hypothetical child trusted you to help them. And you're doing so much more damage if someone discloses to you and you don't do anything. Exactly. It creates just another trauma Mm -hmm. on itself. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. There it is right there. And I think you will be great. And I will you support you so much with your platform you. you're going to create on Instagram. And I will say this, and a lot of people know that you are coming from the survivor advocacy led, mm-hmm. you know, focused um, yes. awareness in that yes. platform. And I, you know, much love to all the allies and advocates that are doing their work also, but there's something else like it coming from you, Harper. So I thank you that you're in this part of your journey where you can do this for everyone else. And obviously you're still working on yourself and we need, you know, we know yeah. we, we need you to continue to work on yourself because you are your strongest advocate. And you, you know, like you said, Absolutely. like we talked about before, um, but this, this is amazing. And you, like, you just, you are at a great point that it sounds like to me and um, of your journey. Thank you. Today it's was great. Been, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward. No, it's been, it's been a journey. I mean, it's been very tumultuous and, you know, even today was tumultuous. I woke up and oh, I was crying wow. and I was upset and I snapped at my boyfriend and I was like, I Aww. can't do this. I just want to, I want to email you and I want to cancel. Oh, and wow. I was just yeah. like, I can't do this. And so what we did was we got up, we went for a drive, we went down to the river, we hung out with some friends and I reminded myself that I am more than the negative aspects Mm. of my trauma. There are positive, Mm -hmm. I don't want to say there are positive things to it, but I have gotten positive things out of it. And I can continue to create a positive space. And I can make this, like our interview and our discussion, I can make it a positive interaction. It doesn't have to be just like, Yes, the, the trauma narrative yes. basically it doesn't Absolutely. have to be that there's more mm-hmm. to trauma than yes. the actual trauma no, it does because I want to be like totally honest with you as well is like I always I have to prep myself because I know how much this mm-hmm. means to mm-hmm. each and every one of you and I know it's not easy of and course. that's why I started my podcast with just my piece of it because I didn't even know my value and what the work that I was doing 
and ha- in the work that I was doing. But you're doing amazing Thank you. work. And, you know, every time mm-hmm. I was like, oh, should we just like, because I had one yesterday too. Um, and I was like, this is a lot for a weekend. I don't want, you know, this is not something I want to, like, I haven't checked right. on her. Like I said, you know, I'm sending your mm-hmm. this stuff before all late and wrong too. And then, um, and then I was like on at 1115 and I was nervous and I was like, oh my goodness, she's not going to show up. And then it was like, uh, Victoria, just remember that it is your story though, Harper. And I never have the intentions because I am trying to do it differently than other people have. Cause I've heard some very yeah. horrible things. And, um, that's why I've always started off with like, where are you, what are you working on now? Because that's where I want yeah. everything to be. And, and it sucks because we do get a lot of the people who are like us, our survi- mm-hmm. us survivors, our lived experience experts, our overcomers that are older in their recovery. And, you know, uh-huh. it's just like, but that's the way that's actually the truth. You can't get someone so recent yeah, into their like, victimization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt like even one of the biggest reasons I was like, well, should I cancel this is because I felt like I'm not that far mm-hmm. into my recovery. And I just kept asking myself, will I have a positive message wow. to leave these wow. listeners? Will I have a message of like hope and recovery or am I just going to get bogged down in this trauma narrative? Am I far enough along where I can be that hope and be kind of like a shining, like, Hey, you know, it does get better there. There's of course work, but there's another side to it that you You can get to. So great. Harper. Like we didn't really have (laughs) to talk about your story because you emphasize on so many of the truths that I think a lot of people still aren't comfortable talking about because we don't go to therapy yes. and we don't try different modalities and we don't connect with ourselves. And mm-hmm. then we put it on other people to know how to respond to us. And that's not the reality because I had it. I mean, exactly. I wasn't in a good space yeah. this morning either. And I was just like, why am I feeling like this? And then guess who's the attack? My partner. It's like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, and, Okay. And weird. I and I will leave like a lot of lot of this interview, this ending, because it's really the reality behind everything is that we need to be prepared for how we share our story. We don't want people to expect us to just trauma puke on them. And then it's just like, like you said earlier, it's like <laughs> one hour, by the way, I could never be a therapist. I went to school to be a therapist and I couldn't just because of that. I was like, really? I can't be there for an hour and then give them this like closure of a week that they're going to see me another hour next. It's like, how can no. I do that? Like, I don't want to talk about anything then. <laughs> so it's it just it doesn't seem feasible Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and just learning that you know we can create our everyone says like recovery doesn't have to be linear Mm -hmm. like linear right it doesn't just have to you're not going up and up all the way but you also don't have to do the same things that everyone does you don't have to do even the same things that you've been doing it's okay to it's seasonal. It's like eating, <laughs> like eating intuitively. You can recover intuitively and take from your toolbox the things. You oh need yes, that I gotta give a shout out to um, one of our other survivors, her, our sister. She raps and she goes through yes oh, her, through her that. music. So, and the, 
And the other survivor we just had is was through his poetry. So I am you really have been so empowering today. And I want you to know that you thank you really like I just don't even have the words because I didn't expect this. I really didn't. And and just oh. like and just like you said, <laughs> okay. you're kind of new and you think that you're really new in this journey. But one piece of it is that there's the mm-hmm. actualization of a lot of things and that you were able to still speak on. And you're very comfortable with being yeah. uncomfortable and saying some of these things. Right. Yeah. Like you were you're OK with saying yeah. some of these things. And not a lot of people think that that's okay, not OK in a in a you know, your journey. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not trying to speak to everybody who's like the queen um, speakers of sex trafficking. Like I, that's why my, 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 my uh-huh. podcast is called unseen because it's like stories and movements that you are wanting to create, not necessarily movements, but you're the way you're going to pre- pre- prepare your platform and your advocacy work is what mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. to hear and love to see. Yes. So, no, oh, it's amazing. And I just want to say again, like I said at the beginning, I'm so grateful for this Thank space you. you've created. And yeah, it was way better <laughs> than I expected. It's just so natural, so comfortable. Uh, um, yeah. And I honestly, it's one of the things that I told myself this morning, driving home from my friends, I was like, oh, okay, I don't need mm-hmm. to, I did the same thing kind of that I started doing yeah. with the Polaris project oh, this morning. I started no. writing the whole trauma narrative and I was like, oh, I don't have to focus on those things. That doesn't have to define mm-hmm. my story. Yes, these abuses happen and maybe one day, like I won't go into more detail about them when I'm comfortable, but if I'm not ready that's for that, beautiful. that's fine. That is beautiful. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, well, like I said, Harper, it's Sunday. And I thank you for taking the time to speak with us at Unseen the Traffic Truth podcast. And just know that our survivor listeners and our survivor advocates and allies and just the community, we all believe you and we all support you and we all love you. So we're thankful that you are here and you're going to do some amazing work for yourself and for others. Yes. Thank you for saying that. I love that you incorporate we believe you into talking yes. to your guests Thank you. it's amazing it's like the magic word it is is. and I'm gonna say this because I'm gonna keep this in here we hashtagged believe the teens because I could not do save our children anymore because I just that that made me so mad with save our children like we're not even believing them first of all so how are you gonna even how are you gonna save them yeah believe the teens let's start there and maybe that's more palatable and we can get we can get some we can we can get some teenagers talking a little bit more quicker or you know more out there than the children so like let's just believe let's just believe seriously so Mm -hmm. believe the teens i love it thank Thank you you harper and you did good on zoom today so I'll be in touch (laughs) with some things later on. And um, uh, yeah, I'll be in touch. I hope you have a good day today and that we're ending it in a good space. Yes, absolutely. Hey, it's Victoria. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Unseen, the Traffic Truth Podcast. Thank you for being a part 
of hearing and listening to voices that were often unheard, underrepresented, and feeling as though their stories weren't seen, heard, or believed. And I hope that you stay tuned for another episode as we will bring you weekly episodes released on Fridays of survival stories, controversial conversations, and coverage of stories that never really make it to headlines. And if you haven't yet, check out season one. All right, check y'all back for next Friday, Unseen the Traffic Truth Podcast.